So you move to LA for Hollywood dreams Gonna be a big shot, the money all be obscene First you gotta start at the very bottom rung We'll tell you all about it so you don't look dumb If you wanna make it, you'll have to be persistent But I'm pretty busy, talk to my assistant Hey everyone, welcome back to Talk to My Assistant, everything you never wanted to know about being a Hollywood assistant. This week, I speak with a coordinator of current programming at a television network. If you're not sure what current programming even is, don't worry. Most people don't know what that is, and my guest explains it. She also talks about her career thus far and shares her most tense assistant stories that she can now laugh at, like a time she almost got fired. And more importantly, she shares what it's like to be a non-white assistant in a super white industry and gives advice to other people looking to enter. She shares about how it's important to speak up with your perspective and to use your own voice. Also check out this episode's blog entry on our website where more assistants of color share their experiences and give advice. Also, as usual, we have a fun photo of our guest in the trenches, although this week the trenches are actually a fun premiere party photo booth and our guest looks very glamorous as usual. If you're listening to the third episode, I feel like that means you're on board. So go ahead and subscribe so you'll know when the fourth episode drops. I promise it's a real treat. Before we start, I want to give a warning and apologize because I do use an extra obsessive amount of likes in this episode. I'll like do better like, you know, next time. Okay, here's episode three. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been redacted to protect the innocent. This is like just a fun fact, but one of the most honest portrayals of what our lives actually are like as like assistants and whatever, just being at the bottom of the totem pole is depicted on the show, The Bold Type. Like I've never felt like something has been more accurate. Like even though The Bold Type takes place in the world of like magazines and whatever in New York City. Yeah. Like I feel like they just use that as like a mapping mechanism. Right, because like obviously the people writing the show yeah. are like in their industry. But um, I don't know, I just love it. And I feel like there are so many issues that it tackles and like nuances of specific relationships that they depict that I've never quite seen done before. So just shout out to the bold type. On it's that. funny because like <laughs> you were telling me that earlier and I had watched the pilot and I had had the opposite reaction to the pilot uh-huh. where I just felt so frustrated because I was like, you've never lived it. Like yeah. you don't get it. But then um, I understand that like it's like pilots are weird and I should go back. And yeah, watch you should watch more because like it, <laughs> there's such a wealth of material. <laughs> there like, is. Yeah. I um, saw. Well, I actually did see the second episode after mm-hmm. you mentioned that. And the part where she had to, like, chase her boss in the elevator to ask her about, like, (laughs) moving into another role at the company, Uh like, not being an assistant, I basically had to do something similar, like, that once when I was, like, asking the agent that I was working for, like, Uh quote-unquote, asking if I could interview for another desk Uh because I wanted to move into the features department. Yeah. And he would 
like it's weird how you ask those questions over email sometimes yeah, as yeah. an assistant just because you can't get any FaceTime. Mm-hmm. But he he was just like ignoring those emails. Mm-hmm. So finally he was like, oh, got to go to a meeting. And he like started walking out or I probably told him he had to leave for his meeting. Yeah. But then he just like rushed out and I was like literally like chasing, <laughs> chasing him down the hallway. And I was like, hey, <laughs> did you see my emails? Like blah, blah, blah. And then he finally has to stop to wait for the elevator yeah. and he has to give me an answer. And he's like, well, fine, if you think that's what's right. <laughs> and I was like, well, now I'm definitely sure that right. that's what's right. I'm more than sure. <laughs> yeah, but it is, like, uh, funny. It's fun to see, like, Have you seen Set struggle. It Up, by the way, on uh, No, Netflix? but someone else mentioned that to me yesterday. That's another one that, like, very accurate portrayal. Also doesn't take place in our industry, but it's, like, specifically, like, assistants right. for, like, power bosses. I saw it on Netflix, and I was like, this might be, like, too close to home. It's I so check it out. good. No, it's so, so good. And yeah. also the fact that the bosses are Lucy Liu and Tay Diggs is amazing. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, even Devil Wears Prada is pretty accurate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I feel like that was when I like was first going into the an agency job. That was what my impression was. Of right. It. <laughs> and it's obviously different and fictional, but I, I always like to describe my job when I was e- even at like an agency assistant, but also a network assistant was like, have you seen the entourage? It's basically uh-huh. like, it's basically the Lloyd character. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise people have no frame of reference. Right. Right. Um, well, that's why you should watch Set It Up, actually. We, okay. <laughs> um, I'm excited. Yeah, I was Now like, I'm, like, far enough removed. I, can't I was watching it with, like, friends who aren't in the industry, and I was like, you guys, like, this is my life. You, I know you want to know. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, where did your interest in entertainment start? My interest in entertainment started when I was much younger, So I'm the daughter of Filipino immigrants, and I grew up in a household where my grandma lived with us, and a big part of our family bonding every day was watching Filipino, like, telenovelas. They're called teleseries in Tagalog, which is our language, but it essentially is, like, the Hispanic... er, a Filipino version of like Hispanic telenovelas and that was kind of like our daily like thing that my mom my grandma and I would all do together did they um, air in the U.S. or were you yeah we okay. subscribed to like the channels <laughs> over here um and it was like both a way for me to learn the language first of all but also a way for me to just feel more connected with my culture overall um and I feel like that was kind of the first instance of me recognizing like the power of storytelling like through that medium specifically and I mean like it was soapy obviously but it was just so um the fact that it was something that could bring my family together in that way was so interesting to me yeah um and I think from there like that's where my love of like television came from and like ended up um turning into a real thing so like how young were you when you like started watching this? Pretty young, probably like mm, between like age eight through like sixteen. Like I was watching it like every day. Whoa. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> um and then so did you make your own stuff when you were a kid or did it start in college or Yeah, so actually um 
my parents were like super supportive of me like being interested in this at all. And so my dad happened to have a friend who, a Filipino friend who lived nearby who had kind of his own small production company for live events. And so his specialty was filming things like weddings and like those types of things. But another big like demographic of his customers were Filipino like events that were being put on locally. And so there would be like celebrities coming in from the Philippines to like perform as like singers, dancers, whatever. And they would happen at like these big conventions. And I started working as one of the camera operators and would like be um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, really my first, like, introduction to production and all of that. Yeah. And, like, that obviously is not where I found myself going later on in my career, but it was also just so useful to, like, be exposed to that world in that way. Right. Um, and your parents were supportive of it, even though, like... Yeah, I mean, I feel... I always say that I feel super fortunate that... Um, you know, even though I am the daughter of like two immigrants, I didn't face the stereotypical, I guess, Asian sort of mm, hardship that you do that a lot of people tend to when it comes to like telling your parents you want to pursue something in the arts. Um, they were just very supportive. And I think a part of it is that we I did grow up pretty close to L.A., like just outside of L.A. And so when I told them like this was like film and TV was something I was interested in pursuing, it was a tangible thing for them to understand because, A, I had already been doing all those like projects with our family friend. But then, B, like they could wrap their heads around, you know, me saying like, oh, well, Chapman, UCLA, USC, like all these schools near by have great programs yeah and, and then so, they would get to see you more yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and they're and you know those are all like great schools so they're like oh well if you can like study it then like why not right that I mean that's super lucky in general like immigrant or not yeah totally yeah but I feel like it tends to be harder when you're like parents aren't from here and they're like totally, oh yeah like, totally they don't even understand what the industry means um, and, and I guess maybe your parents could see that there were like substantive jobs right but um so then you studied it in college mm-hmm. I studied tv writing and producing in college and you know there was a time where I flirted with the idea of writing but very early on <laughs> realized like that I didn't have the patience for it um, but I really always gravitated more towards um, TV storytelling over features because, I mean, I love both, but like my senior thesis even was instead of a short film, it was me creating three like webisodes of like a series that I had written and created. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did you like make the transition to a career? Um, so I think like very early on, I had a very type A personality about everything. Like I felt super lucky to even be like studying what I love. And so, but one of the things that I also realized pretty early on is that, you know, it's an industry that you succeed in through like connections. And that was like something that I didn't have. And, um, so throughout college, like I was a super nerd about like just interning every semester meeting everyone I could even before graduating. By the time I graduated, I had done like about 10 internships, which was kind of insane. Wait, how did you do, (laughs) how did you do 10 internships? It's wild. I mean, like I would do it like 
during the year. So fall and then spring. And then I do two during the summer and like move up here for the summer. Um, so when you were doing fall and spring, you're commuting to LA from yes, Orange County, which is a pain in the ass. Yeah. And it's not close. That's, that's for sure. So how did you even get all these internships? Um, you know, I had to do a few shitty ones in the beginning, like just to like start building my what resume. What is a up. shitty internship? <laughs> <laughs> I worked in commercial production for okay. a summer, which like that was kind of wild because it was just it was a tiny production company. And like looking back on it, like a lot of like what I was being asked to do, like shouldn't have been asked of like an unpaid intern. Right. But like at that point, I mean, I was like 18 just wanting to get any experience I could. I remember at one point I was asked to like one of the commercials they were shooting was for Wendy's and, um, it was, but it was for a Hispanic audience. And so it was in Spanish and all of the actors in it were like Hispanic as well. Um, and I like my literal job on set was to be the stand in for the actors be like while they were figuring out the lighting and everything, because I was the only other like brown person there who like with the same skin what? tone. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um, I mean, it was kind of cool because I just like eat a burger and be sitting there and yeah. like, have them like readjust the camera and whatever. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else in the beginning, I'd say like I didn't have like too many shitty ones. It was just like more about them being unpaid right. more than anything, like which fortunately that doesn't seem to be the case as much these days for like people who are doing internships now. Um, but yeah, I feel fortunate because by the time I had graduated, I had experienced so many different environments like a network, a studio. Um, I Where else had I gone? It's been so long. International. Um, a guild even, wow. um, and a show. I, my, one of my last internships was like actually in a writer's room of a show, which was really like, cool. I feel like not a common intern position. In yeah. General. Yeah. I was very fortunate because the school I went to had a lot of working like film and TV professionals as professors. And so, um, one of my professors was literally staffed on this show as like a co-EP and brought me into the room to help oh, cool. out. Mm-hmm. So was it like the internships? Cause you said you had to do shitty ones at first, <laughs> shitty internships at first. Like, is it once you had some of those under your belt, you're more credible when you applied? Is that what you Oh meant, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Yeah, I think that it was a combination of that, but also starting to just like meet more people that could help you um, get your foot in the door for the next thing. So like one of the internships that I didn't particularly like love what I was doing because I was working at uh, a sports network, which (laughs) that was just never my interest, but because they were on the same lot as like a major broadcast network that I was interested in working at also they like got my foot in the door there and like passed all passed along my resume to them because like they do know people there since we're all like working in like the same area so you think it's worth it to take an internship that's maybe not exactly what you want to parlay into something that you want I think so yeah I mean like especially early on probably not if you're like a senior who's like about to graduate right but like definitely early on if you can like get your however you can get your foot in the door I think is always going to be useful right so did you know what you wanted to do when you graduated um I 
despite doing like 10 internships, the one environment that I actually had never experienced was the agency. Okay. And so I didn't, I never wanted to be an agent, but I did have an understanding of like how important working at an agency can be for a lot of people's careers. Um, and so I knew that that was where I was going to concentrate getting my first job was like one of the major agencies just to get that experience under my belt and kind of like continue to meet more people. Okay. Were you dreading it or looking forward to it? I was definitely anxious and kind of dreading it just because it sounded so intimidating. You hear all these stories, you read the mailroom and like you like can do all these things, but nothing like fully prepares you for what it's actually like. Right. Um, And I was also still living in like at my parents house which is about an hour and a half outside of LA and when so you started was, yeah yeah like I've I think like yeah for like three to four months of me even wow. getting my first job at an agency I made that commute because I think like this is something that actually isn't talked often enough about it which is like how little you're getting paid yeah and so like I literally could not financially afford to move out here and get paid like ten dollars an hour at the same time yeah. you know and I think that that kind of is a thing that goes hand in hand with the conversation of like how accessible is the industry to like people who are of a different background, socioeconomic status, all of these things. Um, And the answer is like not that accessible because it's hard. Like if I did, if my parents didn't live that close to like, which is not even that close, but close enough, I don't know how I would have done it. Well, I know too, because and I've talked about this before, but it's hard because you're also expected to already be living there when you get a job. Mm-hmm. So on top of not being able to afford rent, it's like, right. how do you afford rent if you don't have a job right. unless your parents right. are paying for it? Yeah. So I think that's in the same way a huge barrier. And you had to like make that move out yourself. Well, I, I lied and <laughs> I said that I was living here and I uh-huh. was staying with family so that I was at least able to have a job before I had to start paying right right mm-hmm. you know and I like moved in and sublet mm-hmm. and whatever but um still it's like you I was lucky to have family here and you have to have yeah. like so, you have to have some help you have to have some support in yeah some way and like, yeah it's hard yeah and then when you end up making something or like you have a job it's still not really enough for most people yeah, I, I like I personally I was able to make it work, but like I wouldn't have been able to if I had loans or something, you know, yeah, no, so, same, same. So it's I think it's really hard. I agree. It's really hard. I mean, like especially combined with the culture of like what you're expected to be doing like on a day to day basis, which is like you have work for like 10 to 12 hours every day. But then afterwards, you're supposed to be going to these networking mixers, right. these drinks and like that all does cost money. And so right. I think that there's this like I I felt at least when I was at an agency that it was something people definitely didn't acknowledge in any way. And like people were just living beyond their means without like ever explaining like how. Um, And for me, like someone who like was like actually trying to fully support myself, um, it just felt really hard. Yeah. I mean, even like lunchtime, I was like, how are yeah. you, how are you going to lunch at the same place that your boss is going to Like lunch? buying that every single day. Yeah. yeah. I definitely had days where I would go, like the agency that I worked at had a kitchen that was stocked with snacks and I would just eat that for lunch. Yeah. I would just like have cereal for lunch and it was kind of sad, but also 
I'm, yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's something that really needs to change. I feel like the agencies are starting to realize this just because of the nature of the conversation that's happening industry wide right now. But it's still, I don't know, it's still hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And it's hard too, because if you look at the flip side of that, it's like they're the only way to make it different is to offer to pay people more, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Maybe you right. have another suggestion, but I i mean, it needs to be the money and the hiring practices, mm-hmm. but they're not going to necessarily put more money towards it when they can get people right. when, without like, doing that. When the whole mentality is like, we could, like so many people would die to have this job. Right. Like, you can be replaced in a minute. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like messed up, but true. Yeah. It is interesting though, because like, so many like obviously going to the agency isn't the only way to start but so far everyone that I've talked to and most of my friends mm-hmm. including myself did start at the agency so then it's kind of like do they have since they're inherently the gatekeeper like do they yeah. have a responsibility to be the ones who kind of are the ones who like look to make the industry more inclusive I think that I mean I think yes because yeah. I mean and I think that we're seeing that with how like their own talent is being treated right now, you know, like there are real initiatives to sign more people of color and women and like those types of people. But I do think like more needs to be done on the level of like, who are you like hiring for your actual company and like, who are you actively outreaching to? Um, I was speaking to a woman in who works like specifically in diversity and inclusion and she brought up like a lot of valid points because I have a lot of frustrations with how the system works and how the system creates this environment that's very insular and she brought up a good point which is like how many people myself included because I'm actually in charge of hiring interns now for my company um but she asked me like how many people are actually going to schools like Santa Monica City College and those types of places to like make it clear that there are opportunities in entertainment for people who like go to community college and that type of thing and I mean I think the answer is no one like no one's really doing that yet and so there's still a lot to be done and the way that most or a lot of people get their first job is through their college connections. Right. It's like you you can have personal connections maybe through your family or mm-hmm, connections through mm-hmm. your college. And, like, the college that you go to is often directly tied into, like, your social class. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, people who come from, like, lower socioeconomic, like, backgrounds don't even know that this is a possibility, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So... Okay, well, we should talk more about that, but first, let's get a full picture of, like, <laughs> your trajectory thus uh-huh. far. So you went to the agency, an agency. Uh-huh. I, yes, I worked at an agency, um, ended up working in, despite my love of television, ended up finding opportunity in the feature uh, literary division of the agency, which... I think like wasn't actually that much of an issue in retrospect since a lot of like feature writers and directors are also working in television. And so I didn't feel that removed. Um, but yeah, I ended up staying there for almost two years working for like three different bosses who were at three very different points in their careers. Like one was a very junior agent. One was like a more mid-level covering agent. And the last one was like a senior partner who had been doing this like his whole life. And so getting all of those perspectives was really interesting and valuable. So did you ever think that you wanted to stay there or did you know? 
Um, there was a moment where, I mean, I, I certainly did not go into it thinking like this could be where I end up. Like it was one of those where I should just do this for a year and get the fuck out. But, (laughs) um, but I think towards the end, because I was working for someone who was so unique in how he handled his business, I, there was a moment where I was like, I could do this. Like, I think I could do this. And, um, but you know, fortunately an opportunity at, a network that I was really interested in ended up coming up and it was like the one and only thing I went up for and I ended up getting it. So it was sad because I had a really good relationship with that last boss that I worked for. Contrary to a lot of like agency horror stories, I like actually had the opposite experience when I was working for him specifically because he was just so supportive and like the first mentor that I had ever really encountered, like mentor in terms of like someone who's actually willing to take time out of their day every day to like kind of talk about everything that's going on and make sure that you're like actually learning and not just becoming this robot answering phones yeah that's Um, really I mean that is crazy (laughs) when you think about it yeah like the percentage of people at an agency who would do that is probably single digit oh totally yeah yeah he's like definitely a unicorn in that way (laughs) like um and so there was like a sadness that I had when I left that behind because Yes, like on the one hand, I was going to like a company that I was super excited about and really interested in and like felt like it was bringing me closer to where I wanted to end up in my career. But on the other hand, like the value of like mentorship is so um, important in this industry. And so I was sad to be leaving that behind. Yeah. What was the network position that you left for? Um, I left for a position in the current programming department of a major cable network that I really, really was excited about. Um, And I feel like when you're kind of in the bubble of working at an agency, a lot of people who don't want to be writers or directors or anything creative tend to default to thinking like development is the route to go. Right. And um, that kind of was my headspace as well. Like I was totally guilty of that. But my end goal, the end goal for me, like even when I was in college, was always to produce and kind of I I used to say like my goal would be to become an Asian Betsy Beers to an Asian Shonda Rhimes (laughs) like that would be like the dream. Um, And so like I feel like because I put that out into the universe, the right opportunity kind of just found me because um, yes, I think development would have also been really interesting for me, but current, what I liked about current specifically was that it was kind of that unique position where you get a bird's eye perspective of everything that's going into making a show. Like you get the creative element of like reading cu- scripts, watching cuts and like giving notes, but there's also so much that goes into what you do do and like what it actually takes to put a show on and um like interfacing with marketing production like PR like all of those things right. like are equally important um and so that was what was really appealing to me about getting in that way what would you say like because I feel like a lot of people who aren't in the network world or tv world aren't really sure the difference between current and development mm-hmm. how would you like simply Um, explain it I feel like it definitely differs like different types of networks um but like I guess the short answer to it would be that development kind of is more focused on um reading incoming material hearing pitches and um deciding on what to like actively develop which the development process can be brutal like you know I feel like 
probably like even though I'm not like in our department our development department like from my perspective it seems like only definitely like a single digit percentage of what we actually choose to develop is even made to pilot and then after something's actually made to pilot the amount of shows that actually become series is so so small right um it's definitely the more or I think there's heartbreak on both sides but there's a lot of heartbreak in development because you can get so attached development was the side that I was in you can get Mm -hmm. attached to something that's just like not gonna happen or also just like reading so many things that you Mm -hmm. just can see how much material is out there that's not gonna and I think that there's more of like um a game that's being played when you're in development (laughs) because like you have to have those like interactions with agents and managers like regularly or like pitching you so-and-so and and whatever um and like having to compete also like that's the other thing like you can decide that you want to like develop something based on a pitch or a script but it doesn't even mean that you're gonna get it like you're competing with all these other networks who also want it same yeah thing yeah so I'd say that that's probably the biggest difference in terms of just like what your day to day is between development and current. I feel like current is a lot more consistent in that, like once a show is picked up to series, like, you know, you kind of know exactly what you're getting into. Like, yes, problems still come up for sure um, that like you're going to have to put out fires of sorts. But like your actual like day to day isn't as much about playing the game. It's more like it's more focused on like showrunner relationships and like making sure that we're hiring the best directors for the show, the best writers and that kind of thing. And kind of I think like that's another thing that I really value about that job is that you develop these relationships with creatives in a very organic way. Um, yeah. Whereas I feel like the handoff of like, oh, we shot this pilot, we're going to pick it up to series, but you're going to work with like these people now yeah. instead of us. Like that, that, that's the heartbreak of development. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So in a way it's almost, would you say like the, for you, the producing of network side, of like yeah. the network side of the business. No, definitely. I feel like that it's like kind of the closest you can be to like, producing a show without like actually being a producer because like you're the other person in the mix who's like equally as invested in like the day-to-day of like putting on the show yeah and like I think it's cool because you get to see what like you get to see the fruits of your labor like right away Mm -hmm. like you're you can see the dailies like yeah. Right after they shoot it and you had just read the script mm-hmm. and then you give feedback and then you see the cut. So it's right. very much like more tangible. Yeah. Rewards. Yeah. There's something like more gratifying about that yeah. for sure. Um, but that's not to say that like both parts of the job are like, they're, they're like both very important. No, no. But I think it's like what you were kind of saying before is that like current doesn't, like people don't talk about current as much. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't really know like what that department is doing. Right, right. And also because a lot of places it's just like the same department. Yeah, which honestly like would be the ideal, I think. But I'm still grateful to be in current. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that makes sense. So what's your role now at the network? Um, my role now is being a coordinator in the department. I was promoted like eight months ago, um, which was really fortunate because it is like a hard thing like one of the hardest jumps to make in the industry overall whether you're at a network studio whatever yeah is going from like assistant to whatever the next step is right even like in a writer's room I feel like you could be a writer's assistant or showrunner's assistant and the biggest jump you'll ever have to make is becoming a staff writer right Um, just getting off 
of like being the assistant, right. like answering the phones. And that's also, I think the biggest like job title mm-hmm. switch because totally like, yeah. Cause not job title, sorry, job duties. Because mm-hmm. like sometimes it's like the job of being an assistant isn't even what isn't grooming you necessarily right. to be right. whatever the next step is. So. And I think that that's part of what, what makes it hard is because you as an assistant, depending on who who your boss is, of course, like, but you're not necessarily doing the job of, or learning how to do the job of what the next step would be for you. And so then it's like, how are you expected to advocate for yourself that like you're ready for that next step when you haven't actually like done any of that stuff? Right. So So how are you able to do that? How are you able to like, um, you know, for me, I think that that was something I also was like very much aware of and like found to be problematic. And my boss after, um, the agency wasn't necessarily like a hands-on mentor in the way that like that agency boss had been. Um, so it was harder for sure to like figure it all out. But I, I guess like for me, like what kind of put me over the edge was, bringing in something that actually turned into a show and I think that that's kind of the route you have to go when you're really trying to get promoted is like do something that's like undeniably like objectively like really great and like on paper like it's something that people can point to and be like oh like she did that um but um, no I think that's like no no one's ever gonna make you useful like no one's ever gonna like create yeah. A reason for you to get promoted. Like it's only beneficial to you essentially right, to get promoted right. because it's not like there are really these spots generally that need to be mm-hmm. filled. And unless someone leaves and everyone shifts up, it's like you need to make yourself invaluable so that they create right. some kind of position for you. Exactly. So like one of the ways to do that is to go, here's a skill that I have and this is how I'm gonna make it beneficial to the company. Mm-hmm. Or um, here's a relationship that I have or an eye, eye for right, like material right. that I have. And I found this piece of content that like yeah, other people yeah. didn't find. And like, I'm going to bring it in and it's going to be like a new thing. Like it's even hard for execs to do that. Mm-hmm, so if you can mm-hmm. do something like a project on your own that like yeah. shows that you're already doing the job, mm-hmm. even though sometimes it's really hard because you may not have like the background support to right, do that. Right, right then you can prove that, like, obviously, that you're invaluable. Yes, totally. Um, agree with that completely, and that that is what ended up helping me a lot. The other thing that, when you talk about, like, relationships, that was another thing that I focused on, which was, you know, we're at this point in the industry where talking about diversity and inclusion is so important, yet I feel like there are actually not that many people who feel passionate enough to like do like the work that's actually required to like start um kind of fostering new talent and all of that and um as like a woman of color you know I that's something that I do feel very like passionate and close to and so I recognized that there was an opportunity to kind of be that voice within like the network and be like that person who was actively like outreaching to like young talent on the rise and that type of thing and like developing I developed a lot of relationships with people who were running diversity programs even outside of like our network 
um, and kind of because we are all like we all have the same goal in mind, which is just to like champion those voices and like enable and empower them. And so there's not there's not necessarily like a competitive um, nature to interacting with like other networks and stuff when it comes to that. Oh, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. so like one networks diversity program would be like open to like they'd be open to sharing like yeah yeah that's ideas actually, of talent that they've mm-hmm. found basically all of like the diversity um executives with across the board like at different networks all talk to each other and all know each that's other that's so cool mm-hmm. it almost seems like that's a good idea for yeah. people in general mm-hmm. interesting because it's like I think there are cases sometimes where like the NBC program will be filled up. So then the NBC exec will call like the ABC exec and say like, this is someone you guys should consider. We, yeah. we just like run out of space, like that yeah. kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, well, how has it been for you? Like being an assistant and a female and a minority, like throughout mm-hmm. all your different jobs. And even like now that you're not necessarily an assistant, like mm-hmm. how does it? Um, you know, it's definitely, I think that, I specifically have started working in the industry like even when I was like starting out as an intern during a time where like none of this was really ever addressed and like you know it wasn't really in the zeitgeist to talk about like minorities being like underserved and underrepresented and that type of thing Um, but then you cut to like me right now and like so much has happened in between like when I was like an 18 year old intern and right now in terms of just so many other things being not looked at as taboo I guess like you know me too and time's up and like all of that I think has actually had a real impact on how yeah we look at these issues and what like day-to-day conversations are when it comes to these types of things and I I personally feel grateful that it has created an environment where people are more open to talking yeah. about that stuff or you mean um, like when you say it's changed change like stuff has just like gotten called out and people are talking about it and people are like kind of forced to be aware of it yeah exactly and like I personally am someone that calls out a lot of that stuff and your personality is very much like no bullshit right and like um I mean that's not to say like when I was a young intern that I was going around saying (laughs) like you have like white privilege like I wasn't like saying things like that um but like it's def- it was definitely something I was always very aware of. And so I feel grateful that the industry has kind of shifted in a positive direction towards being an environment where people have to be open to talking about those things and have to be like, you know, they have to check themselves more. There's a lot of like unconscious bias that exists and people don't want to acknowledge that, you know, but it's like when you're living in time like right now, you kind of have to. Right. So I think that the thing that's unfair though is that it's not our, it's not, how does that saying go? Having these types of discussions isn't necessarily like the burden for minorities, like because obviously we're like the oppressed, right? Yeah. But it's our responsibility still to call it out. Because if we don't, if we're not the ones doing it, then like no one's going to change. No one's going to acknowledge it. So 
that's kind of like the struggle is that it's like already hard being like a person of color, minority, LGBTQ, any kind of minority. But like you all on top of all that, you still have to be the one to like address it and address like how things need to be, how how things need to change. So it's like adding more tension onto something that's already tense. Right. right? Exactly. And that takes a lot of courage, obviously. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I've found that as a woman of color, like that's, a position I've had to be in yeah. a lot of times and it's hard but I think that it does like if you're talking to someone who does genuinely have like a good heart um it does it becomes not that hard because we're at the end of the day we like we all just want to like be good or most of us want to just be good yeah. people you know it yeah just, there's a learning curve for a lot of others were there ever like any moments where you felt like I don't know I guess, like, personally attacked or where you felt, like, I don't know, stereotyped? Definitely. I mean, like, I think that that's one of the hard things is acknowledging... I mean, there are definitely instances where you experience, like, blatant racism or blatant sexism, that kind of thing, and, like, those things are obviously a little more black and white, like, it's either wrong or not wrong. The thing that's harder to talk about are microaggressions, and that's actually what like you experience more often than not it's like me being called the (laughs) me being called the other Asian girl's name in the office like that's it sucks but like it's also like (laughs) I don't know what to do about that like I mean I can correct him or whatever but it's like a series of those things piling up is what actually makes it hard to like be any sort of other Um, I think it's also hard because like if you're like an assistant or a lower level person in entertainment, you already often, and this is a generalization, mm-hmm. don't really have a voice. Yeah. So I think it's hard when there's a person in a position of power that's doing mm-hmm. like a microaggression or even a normal aggression to be like, hey, that's not right. Because yeah. already, even if you even if you were like, if they're a straight white male and like mm-hmm. you're a straight white male, it's already hard yeah, to like yeah. speak up for yourself with the power dynamics. So then mm-hmm. if there's some kind of like, different like something else that's like standing in the way then it's right yeah no totally it's like it's like doubly hard when yeah. you're like already lowest person on the totem pole yeah and then you have to like experience that on top of it and it's hard it's really yeah. hard what did you ever um have like did you ever have like a breaking point moment where you're like, I can't do this anymore? Not even in terms of like diversity, but just in terms of like being an assistant in the industry. Um, I don't know that I've like had like that extreme of a breakdown necessarily. Yeah, because you're still but, here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm still doing it. But um, I mean, I think there are definitely moments for most people in the industry where you think about how you could be doing something else, like not related to entertainment and making a lot more money and having a lot more free time and just like an overall more balanced life. Like that's definitely a thought that crosses my mind all the time. Like, especially as we're getting older, you know, um, you like look, I look to my future and like, you know, I'm someone who wants to get married and have kids eventually. And I look at like the lifestyles of the older like executives around me who like are married with kids. And it's kind of like, it kind of gives me anxiety that like that, 
could be me just in terms of like they're still grinding just as hard as they were when they were younger right. you know and like I am I definitely value having balance in my yeah. life um but like I also love what I do so it's like having yeah. to reconcile the two can be very tricky um I mean definitely I'm definitely not at a point in my life where I have to make that decision anytime right. soon but it's always in the back of my mind for right. sure what do you think do you have a like do you still want to have that kind of like producer Betsy Beers-esque career or are uh-huh. you like or is that just an early goal like what are you thinking now for um I definitely still want to do okay. that like I think I'm in such a good place in terms of just continuing to learn and like develop all the relationships that will help me do that um but that's still like I want to be like that on set like producer who's handling everything and interacting with all of the creatives in that way and kind of just being a relied upon in that way like I think for now like I'm very happy um doing what I'm doing but that's still where I see myself going ultimately right that makes sense have you ever cried at work yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was easy. It's so hard, yes. <laughs> What's, like, your most memorable crying at work experience, and why were you crying? Okay. One time, this was a very dramatic day, actually. It was when I was still at the agency, and um, I was in this weird position where I was being paid as if I was in the mailroom, which, as we discussed, is nothing. Yeah. But I was also being utilized as this, like, pseudo-coordinator assistant role like in oh, this so you guys had a pay differential when you became an assistant yeah oh mm-hmm. that's nice. I mean we're talking like a dollar 25 here but <laughs> but it did make a difference yeah. correct anyway I was pretty bitter at the time that I was like being paid less than what my actual duties were right. and so I entertained um I entertained the idea of going to a different agency and I it's like traitorous. <laughs> it, it was. It was very like I literally like walked down during my lunch break to this other agency, like down the street to this other agency, and interviewed and like hit it off with this other agent. And Wait, I thought, seriously? Mm-hmm. And I thought I was gonna get it. Actually, I was like, awesome. Like I'll be paid <laughs> like an assistant, like how I'm supposed to be paid. Um, And it turns out that that other agent, the agent at the other agency that I had interviewed with wasn't going to be the only boss, even though he was the only one I interviewed with at that time. And so the second person who I would have been working for had I gotten that job was someone who had formerly worked at the agency I was currently at. And so when she saw my resume, she, of course, called the people at my current job to say, like, did you know that? you know, did you know that she was going up for this? Oh, shit. And of course the answer was no. (laughs) And of course that was really horrible. And like in retrospect, I realized like that could have been a fireable offense easily. Like they could have just fired me like on the spot, like for trying to do that. Just because they're also, they're so like secretive and confidential that they would be like afraid that you like agencies are always yeah agencies are always the most extra about that stuff yeah and it's like no one cares (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile I'm like some 21 year old who doesn't even know what's happening yeah but um so I got caught 
and <laughs> I cried. <laughs> Wait, so how did basically like the head of the department I was in and like the head of HR pulled me into this room and said like you should understand like that that you're or you should learn now that we're in a very small industry so you can't go around making these types of like decisions and not expect it to get back to us and like we have to think long and hard about whether or not you get to stay here and literally like that's so stressful I mean yeah how long have you been there at that point I mean, pretty short, like three or four months, maybe. No, it's still. Yeah, but like, so like, but I mean, me doing that was pretty bold considering it had only been a few months. Right. But also, I guess I am kind of surprised they didn't just flat out fire me. They like made me sit in like anxiety for a whole day. And like at the end of the day told me like, we'd like you to stick around, but like you can never do this again. Um... But it was really stressful. I cried. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that is stressful. It's funny, though, because I don't know enough about other industries, but it seems like if you were interviewing, if you're in another industry and you're interviewing to move to a different company, it would uh-huh. either be more like, oh, we we need to fight to keep this person. Right, so we'll right. like, give them the raise <laughs> that they deserve. But again, going back to that thing we discussed earlier, it's like these jobs are like, we should feel so lucky to have them and like we could be replaced in a heartbeat. Um, (laughs) Where did you do your crying in general? um, In the bathroom. Well, I remember specifically one of my bosses answering his phone um, and saying like, oh, hi, so-and-so. And it was the name of the person at the other agency. And... I literally ran when I heard that and I like ran away and like I think I ran to like one of my friends at the other side of the office and like started freaking out like oh my god I got busted. It's Um, weird though because like normally if an agent leaves an agency like that's even taboo. Right. So it's funny that you got (laughs) called out by that person. Yeah. When I got called out as like someone who wasn't even technically an assistant yet. I was lower than assistant. I was like floater technically. Oh my God. Um, So yeah, it is like funny that they cared that much. (laughs) What's like the weirdest thing that one of your bosses has done? Um, What is the weirdest thing? I don't know if I really have one. That's fine. Like, I don't know if I have I'm a good one. I think if I even have one. I mean, like, putting fruit in one of my boss's water was pretty weird. <laughs> the spa water. Yeah. <laughs> the spa water. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like, you, you've had quirky bosses, though, right? Totally. I mean, I had one boss who he got a kick. I mean, this is crossing, like, kind of, like time's up territory now but yeah he got he got a kick out of having me stay late with him for no reason in particular other than he would call his wife while he was like sitting in his office he would call his wife and she would ask like where he was and he would just start lying to her and be like like babe like I'm on my way home I'm on my way home I promise but like would keep me in the office while he was saying that to his wife so that he could like wink at me and you know like this is our secret like I'm actually still in the office it was very very weird it was so disgusting (laughs) it was weird like 
why are you lying about being at work? Right. You're like setting, that's like the weirdest there relationship. There was like, yeah, and there were like weird undertones there for sure. Like yeah. luckily, like it didn't become that, but it was very weird. Well, it's weird to get involved in a boss's like personal life mm-hmm. in, in that way or anyway when they kind of drag you in and you're like, sometimes you're kind of blind to it because you're like, the job of being their assistant is so consuming that, it, of course, you'd be right. part of every aspect of their mm-hmm. life. But then it's, like, definitely crossing a line sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I don't, it's, like, I don't know. It, it's hard because you can't be, like, no. Yeah. The problem is that you can't really say no. I mean, you can as right. a person. But, again, it, like, goes down to that yeah. whole, like, power dynamic of, like, this exactly. is my boss. Like, I guess I have to do this. And then feel very weird about it afterwards yeah I remember this one assistant at the agency I worked at like walking by her and she was just like pouring over health insurance paperwork (laughs) for like her boss's entire family like trying to deal with claims and stuff that sounds like oh it just seems like (laughs) it's a different kind of like personal territory but it just seemed like I don't even want to do that for myself right I don't even know how to do that for myself just like cross your fingers um I don't know is there something that like you tell, I mean, I guess a lot of your friends are from Southern California, so they probably have more of a grasp on entertainment, but are there Mm -hmm. any things that, like, you would tell them about your job and they would be shocked to hear? Um, you mean for friends who aren't in the industry? Yeah, friends who aren't in the industry. Yeah, I mean, like, that story I just told about, like, a boss doing that, like, things like that definitely are shocking, but I think shocking to even people in the industry. Yeah. Um how little you get paid is definitely shocking to them. Um, That's, I mean, those conversations with those friends are honestly the moments where I'm like, what if I was just not in the industry and my life was easy like theirs? Um, That's when I start having those thoughts. Um, I'm trying to think. I think, like, it's hard to explain still like even though these are friends I've been friends with for like forever like I don't think they still understand exactly what it is I do yeah they just think like oh you work on that show and that show but like not they don't really get what it means to work on that show and like yeah it's really (laughs) it's really hard to explain especially because I think the like positions are kind of nebulous yes and it's like doing Mm -hmm. whatever needs to be done but Mm -hmm. also it's a very specific industry, right? Right. And all the protocol and stuff. Yeah, I totally get that. But also, like, it's hard for people. Like, I was at dinner with, um, I was at dinner with, like, my mom who was in town and my grandparents. And it was the night that we had just gotten let off for, like, winter break. So, you uh-huh. know, agencies closed down for two weeks. Yeah. And I started getting these texts from my boss, like, this is a death con five level fuck up or something like that. And he had just been talking to another agent earlier that day about the different levels of death con or whatever. Uh-huh. It was like so nerdy, but like what, whichever one he used was the one that I had remembered was like the highest one. Uh-huh. And basically what had happened is like, he had had this personal, like these personal tickets being messengered to the office. And I had just like not followed up with the mailroom because Uh like it wasn't really something that I was coordinating, Yeah. but I knew about it. I hadn't followed up with the mailroom to get him the tickets before he left. So he left the office without having the tickets for like a big sports game. Uh It was one of those classic, like I'm going to, 
as an agent, I'm going to call in this favor uh-huh. to that studio that owns the sport network right, that this right. giant game is on. Of course. Um, yeah, of course. Agents <laughs> can get, like, anything they want. It's actually kind of, like, awesome. Yeah. But um, it leads to entitlement, I would probably totally. say. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. so, anyways, he didn't have these tickets, and I guess they were supposed to give them as a gift. It, like, the game wasn't even until we were back, so it uh-huh. wasn't a big deal. And I just, like, was at this dinner with my family. I, I was getting reamed after, <gasps> like on text message and I just went outside and I called my friend who I thought like might still be at the office and Uh she was but like she couldn't find them I was like can you check the mailbox or whatever she couldn't find them and the mailroom was locked and I was just like crying because I was like after like doing all this stuff for like half a year for this guy it's like the holidays and he's like freaking out at me and he was like just deal with it and I and you don't have access to email or anything right so I eventually ended up getting figuring out someone in the mailroom's email address and emailing him for my personal email and I had to wait until Monday morning when luckily they had been there uh-huh. and just had him I was like are they the tickets there and he yeah. was like yes yeah. so I was like to my boss I was like do you want me to have these messenger to you and he was like no it's fine I'll just get them when we're back so he like just, I so he just wanted to know that they were there he just wanted me to feel bad because he wasn't able to give them as a gift. And I think oh. I got so nervous that they were lost or something. Yeah. And these were, like, crazy tickets. Or he probably did, too. But it, then it was, like, they just, like, those whole three days were me yeah. just worrying about these tickets that had honestly nothing to do That's with me so or the That's so fucking annoying, yeah. Yeah, because they were, like, giving them as, like, a personal, like, wedding yeah. gift. Oh, my God. That reminds me of a story now, actually, with that same boss that <laughs> would keep me late which was he was like super into Dantana's which is a popular oh, yeah. Italian staple of a restaurant in LA and it's like um, one of those iconic old yeah. school like, it's a scene tablecloth yeah yeah like you order the chicken parm when you're there and um yeah, like all those Hollywood people who never eat right. food like that are always good to chicken. It's like funny <laughs> exactly. to me for some reason. Um, and so like a month before his birthday, maybe even longer, he like had me make reservations there for his birthday, which like of course I knew when his birthday was. Um, he was like, yeah, exactly on my birthday and like make sure to talk to like this specific maitre d' or whatever and make sure that like the reservation is in there. And I did it. And then a week before his birthday, so the Saturday before his actual birthday, I get texts. Um, I wake up to texts from him freaking out, saying, like, why isn't my birthday reservation in my calendar? And I was like, it is. It's for next Saturday. And he goes, no, it's not. I'm celebrating my birthday tonight. And my parents flew in from out of town to do it with me. So the reservation was for the four of us. Um, and I was, I was so sure that like he had said his birthday, you know, but I, you know, as a classic assistant thing, like you just take the blame and like allow yourself to be scapegoated in that way. And oh, so, so, so you had made it for his actual birthday, but he had wanted it for a different a week, day. A week before. Like his parents' birthday. Yeah. His, his celebratory <laughs> exactly. night with his parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, of course, I was apologetic, even though in the back of my mind, I was like, you fucking said on your real birthday. Yeah. Um, and Dantana's isn't open during the day, and it was a dinner reservation. So, like, even though they weren't even open, I, like, started calling them first thing in the morning, yeah. like, begging for a reservation. Um, and the guy was, like, pretty nice, but he was also, like, we're booked, like, until 
um, like we're booked kind of all night. Like I can let you know if something changes. And I was like, well, how will you let me know? Like I need to know right away just so I can tell my boss. Um, and so I literally spent all day Saturday calling Dantana's once, uh, once every hour to see if anyone had dropped out. Oh. And then finally I got one. Someone dropped out like miraculously, but it was for like 8.45 or 9. And so I, I was like, it's fine. It's better than nothing. So I like excitedly text my boss, like, I got you like this 8.45 reservation, like whatever. And he replies, that's too late. Like my parents are old. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. Like, I'll see what I can do. And I like continued to keep calling. Of course, didn't get anything earlier, but felt so bad at that point that I like called that maitre d' who I had been talking to like all day. And I asked like, hey, like, I feel really bad about what happened. Can you please take my credit card information and charge a dessert on it for that table? And which Wait, I what table like for my boss's table like I had like a birthday dessert sent to the table because I felt so bad and um, oh my god and like That's he did really it nice. I know yeah. right and like he did it like the charge went through and he like I trust that it happened but the, the following Monday rolls around boss comes in oh I get in before my boss because I was like I needed to check the calendar for like my own peace of mind to see like what he had said and like what my notes had said and I look and like of course he had fucking said his real birthday you know and I was like god damn it um but then he like sneakily like rolls in without saying anything to me doesn't acknowledge the dessert or anything and the calendar was still open on my computer and <laughs> in real time i see him delete the like reservation from next week like in you know like as if like delete the evidence that that's actually when he no! <laughs> yeah that is so petty it was so bad that's and next level to this day has never acknowledged that i sent that fucking dessert like <laughs> that is crazy i know i know it's like the worst part is like obviously you saw that in the calendar like yeah. you just realize like being a calendar person is like 70% <laughs> of your job right like I'm the fucking master of that calendar wow (laughs) that's bad karma I know I know yeah restaurant reservation reservations are just like the craziest part like we're talking about that yeah Yeah. um wait that reminded me of another thing that I totally oh one of my bosses was like there are sometimes a few uh lunch places that everyone in the industry wants to go, especially within certain yeah. areas. And if you don't get a reservation, like, really early in the morning or the day before, like, you're not going to get a 1 p.m. because everyone takes lunch <laughs> at 1. And, like, God forbid right. you have to eat at one fifteen. No, yeah, because <laughs> going at one fifteen means that you're, like, not important enough to get the 1. <laughs> yeah. But really, like, the only person who can, like, push someone out of a 1 o'clock would be, like, I don't know, like, there are probably, like, only a few people, yeah. right? Brad Pitt. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I was telling him, like, no, there's only 115 or like 1245, mm-hmm. which is really like, just take it. Yeah. You're, you're always going to be like 15 minutes late anyway. Everyone's you know? always late. Yeah. I know. So then, <laughs> and he gave me a talking to about how I need to be better friends with <laughs> the host. 
or hostess. <laughs> like, oh, you need to, like, build a relationship with these people. I was like, I'm not going to fucking, like, buy them a Christmas present yeah, or something. Yeah. That's on you. I don't eat But it's there. also, like, at these restaurants, you've never eaten that because you can't, we can't that's, afford those restaurants. Well, that's the other thing that made me really mad is, like, sure, send me to eat there and yeah. I happily build a friendship yeah, with these people. I'll but I've them never up, seen yeah. them and I'm never going to see them because <laughs> we're both, like, in the worlds of, like, people. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It was so annoying. So ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, food is such a crazy thing in general. Like, one of my bosses would just get hangry. Like, I mean, I guess I get it because I get hangry and I'm yeah. not a child, but I don't know. You just imagine, like, 40 something year old dude to be better. Right. <laughs> uh, uh. Well, to close up, is there anything that you, like, want to share? Um, or like one piece of advice that you would give people entering the industry that you wish that you had known? Um, I think like on a practical level, going back to what we talked a little bit about earlier is like, don't become discouraged if you're not someone who comes from a specific like socioeconomic status or whatever. Um, or even, like, is just someone who gets to benefit off of nepotism. Like, that's another thing people don't like to talk right. about. But it's, like, with a lot of people, not a lot, but, like, a good amount of people, you can very easily trace, like, who they're related to or connected to in somehow in some way. Um, and, like, that's how they're, like, succeeding so quickly. Like, right. I think it's so easy to mm, to compare yourselves to peop- to other people when you're not all necessarily starting on, like, the same playing field. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, that that's true on, like, the nepotism level, but also, like, the financial thing. Like, don't, like, I think, like, if you feel like you're struggling, like, that's because, like, you should be because you're being paid nothing. And, like, the fact that other yeah. people aren't acting like that is kind of them just putting on a show. Um, yeah, and, like, you don't have to get caught up in the scene of, like, fancy clothes and fancy cars yeah, and like yeah. fancy dinners mm-hmm. um, but I think that's especially it's especially hard to escape that when you're at an agency because so it like encourages I yeah. feel like that it that sort of environment like amplifies everything right. and it, you just wish that people were more honest about it yeah which is what you're saying but yeah like, exactly we, we can just be honest that like we all know we're making ten dollars an hour and like right. I don't have daddy's credit card, <laughs> you know? right um, I know also some people who like worked another job, saved up money, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. went to do it. But that's also really hard because you kind of like, if you know that's what you want to do, you want to like, and you know there's so many years of like yeah. at the bottom, you kind of just want to like start. Yeah, and I had a good friend who was like, who I worked with at the agency, which you're already working grueling hours, yet on top of it, he was lift driving because oh he God, literally yeah. like couldn't afford it. And I understood it, but I also, like, felt bad. And that's another thing, right? It's, like, when you have to... When you're someone who comes from, like, a financial situation where that's necessary, it then becomes this whole systemic thing where, like, because you're the one who comes from, you know, less financial privilege and then you have to work that much harder and then spend your extra time um, working another job to literally just make money to live you then end up having less time to do things that would help your career, like going to drinks or like reading more scripts and that type of thing. Whereas if you're someone who does have like the luxury of, you know, just living off of whatever, 
um, you have then the ability to use your free time towards reading scripts, towards like going to drinks and these networking events. And like, you're then already at a very early stage in your career, positioning yourself better than like someone who's just struggling. Definitely. I mean, Um, it's the same thing that you could like project onto society on a broader scale where it's like, if you're going to college and you're like, working a million jobs that you're like always so exhausted that you can't even do your reading for class like then you're at a disadvantage exactly but I know I heard a friend of a friend uh, apparently like took um this like nannying job on the weekends that was like 6 a.m to 9 a.m or some 9 p.m while working in industry while working at an agency or another assistant Uh job which is I was just like I think that's, like, such good money that you can't yeah. say no, but that's brutal. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. Especially because I feel like most agencies expect you to be reading on the weekend. Like, yeah. Like, there's, like, mandatory coverage and yeah. stuff. So that's really fucking hard. Wow. Yeah. But, I mean, it's true. Like, if there's, like, a reason why you want to be doing it or something that, like, inherently you really like about it, mm-hmm. like, that'll push you through so much more yeah. than if you're, at, like, going into the industry because, like, your parents are in it. And, like, right. that's always going to be, like, written on your face and, mm-hmm. like, very mm-hmm. clear. I think if you're able to bring a unique, like, perspective, whatever that means, mm-hmm. they'll appreciate that more and more yeah. but it's still a ways out from mm-hmm. that being true at the bottom totally. where it's like you're gonna make enough money or right I don't right. know would you agree yeah no I do I do agree yeah but that's really it I mean and just like don't be afraid to be passionate about the things you're passionate about I feel like now I feel very comfortable in my career and in life in general talking about like issues of like diversity inclusion and like minority yeah. representation but, and that's always been something I've cared about just as like a woman of color. Yet when I first started, I feel like it was really hard to like be vocal about those types yeah. of things. Um, so, but like looking back on it, like I wish I could have told myself, like, don't be afraid to talk about those things. Like it's actually like for the greater good of like everyone. Right. Yeah, carry yourself with the confidence of, like, a mediocre white man, and you'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> if only. <laughs> There's something that's just, like, I think we were talking about this once, that it just feels like you're they're born with that. Yeah. And it's just, like... <laughs> like, they don't even think twice about things no, like that. Like, walking into like your boss's this, office. like, and... swagger of, like, I deserve this, yeah. you know? It's like, I... Even as, like, a white woman, I'm like, I want... Help. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, like, anyone who is not a white man, a straight white man, like, yeah. you're going to experience a level of that. Yeah. Like. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. This was fun. Dope. Thank you to our guest for giving us her time and her experiences. Um, check out our blog and social media for more fun stuff. You can find the info about that in the show notes. Also, shoot me an email through the website and let me know what kinds of guests you want to hear from. Or if listening to this, you have any questions, go ahead and ask me and I'll either address it on the podcast or shoot you a note back. Please, please subscribe through iTunes or whatever app you're listening on and give us a rating so more people can hear. Um, Our cover art is by Chelsea Javier. Theme song is recorded by Ryan Heenan with lyrics by me. My name's Rachel Abrams, and thank you for listening.